0: all one word, and you'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. I want you to have the same experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs. Isn't it time to tell your story?
1: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or Mc Crispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day.
0: I'm Bill Mitchell and this is When Dating Hurts, a podcast dedicated to my daughter Kristen and all women taken from us before their time by the epidemic known as dating violence. I will speak with authorities in domestic violence, law enforcement professionals, families of victims and survivors, and survivors themselves. Brenda reached out to me a few weeks ago. She wanted to tell her dating violence story because she wanted others to know everything she had learned by one rough dating experience after another. Her story will definitely capture your attention. Today I welcome Brenda to the When Dating Hurts podcast series, but I hold a very special place in my heart for Brenda and other victims and survivors of domestic violence or dating violence. Of course, dating violence is domestic violence without the partners being married. And in each of these stories, I find that there are a lot of similarities. It's almost kind of like a template that gets filled out as we go along. But on the other hand, each has unique statistics where if these people had known more about domestic violence and red flags, and they probably would have called off these relationships safely a long time before they became really horrible. Brenda, thank you for taking my invitation and coming on to the When Dating Hurts podcast to tell your story.
2: Thanks for having me. I I agree that there are so many red flags. And when this happened to me, I was only 24. So I had no idea about the patterns and the predictability and also the predictable outcome of um, some of these conditions.
0: Yes. And it's, it's unfortunate really for all of us that we we understand it after it's over, and we've had an opportunity to let our minds settle things into different places, but also to reach out and get to people who are healthcare professionals, domestic violence, counselors, people like that, who can take all those pieces and all those emotions and kind of explain to us what was really going on. You know, when you're in the heat of it, sometimes it's just, you know, you feel bad or you feel like this person's not playing fairly or acting nicely um, as acting a certain way. And and you don't really know why you just kind of keep plodding through the relationship and feeling a bit captured. Maybe the best place to start is at the beginning, but, but let's go before the beginning and have you talk a little bit about what your life was like before you met this person who, who challenged you. So,
2: so I, I grew up in a suburb north of Boston with two sisters My dad worked in the high tech industry in Boston. I went to great schools. I went to a private Catholic high school. I went to a a Catholic college. And I had a a pretty good upbringing. I think um, it was very safe. And I had a very loving mother. My father was somewhat distant. And I think that maybe There was a lack of attention that I had in my life, and maybe that set the stage for some of the things that happened later, Mm -hmm. because I was looking for love and attention, and maybe didn't know enough about what that should look like.
0: Before you get too far, when you talked about high school, now, is that an all-girls high school? Yes. Okay. And then college, I guess that was probably co-ed. Yes. I guess. Okay. All right.
2: It was co-ed. and
0: Yeah. Just wanted to know.
2: And they were both pretty close to my hometown, so I really... Hadn't traveled very much in my life, and I but I wanted to. After I graduated from college, I was working at a company that moved our entire division to Northern California.
0: Wow, that's a move. And I thought, a big wow, move. this
2: is a great opportunity for me too, to get do some traveling and, and see something beyond my own backyard, so to speak. Sure. It was paid for by the company. They paid to move my car and, and my possessions and so forth. And I had a roommate that was also a woman inner twenties that um, moved across the country with me because it was a lot more expensive in California. And I was working at a job that was in international marketing. So I was definitely trying to expand my understanding of the world. Mm -hmm. My customers were in all over the world. There were customers in Europe and some in South America. So I was in Australia. So I was used to talking to people from other countries on a regular basis. And I just love learning about new things and how other people live.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes, I can see.
2: So I I really wasn't a person with any prejudices when I I was then used to meeting people from other countries that had different religious experiences and different social norms and so forth. So after I moved, it it was a little bit lonely because I'd come from an environment where I knew literally everyone. Mm. And I had lots and lots of friends to a place where I just had a few people that I knew from work. I did have one sister that lived about 40 minutes from me. And that made moving easier because I had family. Yes. Most of the time, if I would go out, it would be with my sister or, or friends from work and so forth. But for some reason, this one particular night I was by myself. Everyone was gone. I don't the all of the people that I knew were gone. And so I thought, I just want to go out and, you know, have a glass of wine and, you know, be an adult.
1: Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. I was
2: 24. And I didn't really think anything about it as I'd never gone to a bar before. I didn't know that, you know, you're basically walking into the lion's den, so to speak. Mm. Um, And I met this person and he was handsome. He had a good job. He had a master's in engineering. He had a high tech job in a company similar to mine. He spoke perfect French. He was very charming. He had something that is referred to in the world of psychology, as a hypnotic gaze. You know, looking into your eyes, just very, just kind of that melting feeling. It was very hypnotic. And he... And you found that attractive? Yeah, and and he mirrored back to me kind of a vision of my best self, like, oh, I was so smart, and I was so funny. Uh, And, you know, he was mirroring back the way I wanted to see myself. uh, And so that was, I think, what's pulled me in. How about that? He was from another country in Northern Africa, which didn't, wasn't upsetting to me at all. And so some of his behavior that became very controlling, I kind of chalked it up to culture, right? So he was from a Muslim culture. And I kind of thought, well, you know, oh. it's a different world there <laughs> and the way that women are treated and so forth. We'll just kind of see how this works out. But he was very um, charming and romantic at the beginning. He wanted to go away a lot. He wanted to go out of town. He wanted to go to Reno. He wanted to go to wine country. He wanted to go to Mexico. And Did
0: he want to go with you or by himself? With
2: me and, okay. and nobody else. And yeah, sure. um, I think it was a way of just, again, trying to keep me to himself. He didn't, want, yes. he didn't want other people around. And I would be invited to things with work or with my sister. And he was always trying to prevent me from going. He was very threatened hmm. by anyone else in my inner circle.
0: Yes. Yes. He was isolating you. Very yes.
2: isolating. I thought that when other people would say, you know, he just, he's kind of has weird behavior. He's very clingy with you. And I thought, oh, they just, they don't understand him. You know, he's from another culture. They, they don't really." Now,
0: was he clingy in style or even clingy physically?
2: He was very clingy in style. So for example, when, when you go to someone's house and there are men and women together, Usually the men will go off and you know go to the garage and talk about cars or something, and the women will go in the kitchen and they will talk about food and friends and so forth. Sure. And he would never. He, he might go out original initially, but then within five minutes he'd be right back beside me, right beside me.
0: Wow. Uh, and uh, leave everybody else behind and come back to you. And
2: he was very um, buzz,
0: buzz around you. He was like a baby.
2: Mm-hmm. He was cl- very clingy, yeah. like a baby, and he was. Uncomfortable around other people, and he was very annoying because he started asking me so many questions, like every day, "Who did you go to lunch with?" and "Where did you go?" and He was just very probing, and it was exhausting to have to defend myself all the time.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I should have thought, you know, this is not normal behavior. You don't have to defend yourself twenty four seven with other friends. Why is he doing this? Sure. And I, I didn't really understand it. His backstory is he was raised basically in poverty. He never met his father, but he told me that he would speak to his father in dreams. So that was just a little tidbit of an indication that he lived in fantasy relationships. And those fantasy relationships, I think, became a bigger and bigger part of his life as, as he went along.
0: That's interesting.
2: He did tell me at one point that he was raped as a child, I think by a man. Okay. And that one of the first red flags that I noticed is he was very quick to lie about things like lying came as naturally as breathing to him in a very performative way. He would tell people what they wanted to hear and it would be little things like, Oh, he had this gym membership and he went to the gym every single day. Well, I knew that wasn't true. And I thought, well, maybe a lot of people exaggerate that, but I knew it wasn't true. And I didn't understand why he would lie about that. He didn't seem to have a respect for the truth. And if I called him on it, he would say, "Well, you don't know. You don't know where I am every minute of the day." He would gaslight me. Gaslighting means you make the person question their own self about something. Like, "Well, do I know? You know how often he's at the gym? You know."
0: He would turn it completely around on you, and it was that. What do you mean? I don't go to every day. Of course, I go every day. You, you know that, or something like that. Yeah. You know, it's, and it's like, oh, maybe I maybe I wasn't listening the day he told me that. <laughs> so he turns the whole thing on you. Yes.
2: Yeah. And he always made me defend myself.
0: Can you remember an example?
2: Just wanting to know who I was with all the time. Right. Trying to prevent me from going to do things with other people whenever he could. He would insert himself into the situation, Mm -hmm. make it difficult for me and say things like, oh, you know, it hurts my feelings when you go out with so-and-so and that kind of thing. And he didn't respect my boundaries. Like if I would say, You know, I'm busy this week. I've got a lot going on at work. I really don't want to get together. Because I didn't live with him. I I had my own apartment with my uh, roommate. Mm -hmm. He wouldn't respect that. And he would just show up. He would just come over and show up, Uh, even though he uh, wasn't wanted. Right. I mentioned that he wanted to go away a lot. We went to Mexico. When we were in Mexico, there was a rope on the beach. And all the tourists were on one side of the rope. And all the vendors, the locals that were selling blankets and jewelry, were on the other side of the rope. And I remember him saying to me, when I was growing up, I was on the other side of the road.
0: Feel sorry for me. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Feel sorry for me. Right. Right. Um, I had a hard Right. Upbringing. Yeah. Yeah. And
0: yeah, give me a break.
2: It, it's kind of funny because, you know, when you, when you grow up, sometimes you have radar about things and my dad could often be very angry. So I had really good radar for people that had anger issues. I could spot them from mm-hmm. across the road. Mm-hmm. Regardless of right. how they were behaving, it just was an energy. It was a feeling. And I didn't have mm-hmm. any radar that went up that indicated that he was an angry person. I didn't, it just didn't hit the radar. Oh, another example of him lying is um, we went to a place in Napa, and I had made reservations so that it was under my name. And when we came in, the people thought that his last name was the same as mine. And he just nodded and smiled. He didn't say, oh, no, that's not my name. I thought,
0: let's make believe we're married for a moment yeah
2: it was i don't know if it was his fantasy or or what but he was just very very mm-hmm. possessive whenever he could feel me pulling away he would try to do something else like let's go away together or something and even to the point where after the first time i broke up with him you know he proposed to me and of course i was like uh, i'm breaking up with you because you're a controlling person and i'm i'm exhausted <laughs> i'm exhausted by defending myself. And it's not worth it. The relationship isn't worth the way you're constantly grilling me. You know, I just, Mm. I didn't like that.
1: Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for a $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. ba 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 ba
0: Well, let me ask you now, how long had you been in a relationship with him when you thought, let's cool it, let's break this off? How long would you say that is? I mean, are we talking weeks, months, a year? Somewhere between talking?
2: three and six months. Okay. Okay. I'm
0: just trying to get a sense. Okay.
2: He wasn't physically violent with me, but he was definitely emotionally draining and constantly pressuring me. And he was also manipulative of other people. So I'll give you an example.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd like to hear that.
2: One time he was trying to, I had broken up with him and he wanted to call me. He wanted to beg me. He would beg me to go back with him. He wanted to call me and, and beg me to go back with him. And I was on the phone with someone and he actually got the operator to cut in on our phone conversation. He'd convinced the emergency. operator that there was an emergency and that he had to sure. talk to me right away. And that wasn't uh-huh. true. Yeah, He just didn't want to wait. Of course. He was just impulsive.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: He he didn't want to wait for me to get off the phone.
0: Yeah, he wanted you to be immediately compliant.
2: Immediately. Yes. He also had like, there was a picture that we had and he put in a frame that said forever. And I thought, ugh, <laughs> this is not my idea forever. Um, for, I'm sure it
0: felt like forever.
2: Yeah. And so he was always bothering me. So, and I had tried to break up with him. I can't remember once or twice. And then Christmas rolled around and I was at a party at my sister's house. And of course he was right beside me. And I met someone there named Richard. Richard came over to me and he said, I heard that you are a fantastic skier. And I said, well, I do really love to ski, but it's, you don't Usually, admit to something like, you, you know, demonstration is reality, right? <laughs> and he said, We have to go skiing together sometime. I would love to go skiing with you. I live close to the mountains. We could get together, blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile.
0: Yeah, that didn't go so well.
2: Ted is fuming and smoke is coming out of his ears and his nose. And immediately mm-hmm. after the party, it was, you know, are you attracted to him? And are you going to go out with him? And why did he ask you out? And just arguing and yelling. And, you know, then there's. And I'm like, look, go away. I I don't want you to try to control my life. This is my life. This is not working out. You need to. We need to take a break. You need to go and do your own thing. And then there would be tears. And then there would be begging, begging for me to take him back. And I'm sorry. And I, you know, I didn't mean it. And blah 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 blah.
0: Recognize all of that. <laughs> that's that's right.
2: And then one time when I broke up with him, I was I was I saw he started following me around and you know, showing up at my work and showing up at uh, the gym where I worked out.
0: Also known as stalking, stalking I guess, but go ahead. Which
2: I didn't even yes. know that term, by the way, at that time, I hadn't, didn't yes. know there weren't terms stalking. And I, sure. I went into the gym and he actually sent a woman in to after me to, to bring me out because he wanted to talk to me. I'm like, close the door. I don't want to talk to him. You know, it, so it was constantly stuff like that, constantly calling me. And um, Uh, he even had, this is so bizarre, he had an ex-girlfriend that lived in Arizona, her name was Alma, and he had her call me, uh, because he had somehow convinced her that she needed to tell me that he was being misunderstood, and that he wanted her to like advocate for him or something.
0: Really a great guy, and you have to give him another chance. Yeah,
2: you have to give him another chance. He's a really good guy, you just don't understand him.
0: You're understanding better and better as you went along.
2: Meanwhile, I'm I'm breaking up with him, and Richard's calling me and saying, you know, just just as a friend, and we're talking, and my sister was planning a wedding several months later, and so we would talk about the wedding and, and that kind of a thing.
0: Now, this is Richard the skier?
2: This is Richard the skier. Okay. So he's calling, me, but it's kind of just like friendly chat and so sure. forth. Sure,
0: banter. Um, mm-hmm.
2: And I say, look, you know, he'd, he'd ask me to do something. I said, you know, I really can't go out right now. Because there's, there's somebody that just, you know, that I broke up with, but he won't go away. And I, I, I don't want to get you in, involved in this. This is a bad thing. Maybe a few months down the road when he goes away, that would be better.
0: Were you concerned for Richard's safety yes. in a way? Yeah. Okay. Well, that was smart. Good, I was, Good for I
2: you. I was worried about him. So, um, sure. the first big event that happened was I had a friend in town that was someone from college. It was He was male. I never dated him. He was a friend. And he was in the area on business, Silicon Valley. A lot of people from New England and the Boston area travel to Silicon Valley on business. And so this is what was happening. Oh, yeah. Sure. staying in a residence inn. Sure. And we were going to go out and have dinner together. Of course, mm-hmm. uh, Ted couldn't stand that, didn't want me to go out with him. And I said, look, this is my life. I'm going out with him. I basically hung up on him. He showed up at my apartment uninvited. Stormed in when my friend Bill was there mm. and he started screaming at me and telling me that I was a whore and all these terrible things. Oh, okay. God, it was weird because he had given me a telephone. This is before cell phones, he had given me a telephone that was plugged into the wall. He ripped the phone out of the wall and stormed out. Was that
0: your one and only phone?
2: Yes, and I don't know if he did that because he had given me the phone or if he would just. Mad, I don't, or just didn't want me to talk to people. I I have no idea.
0: I'm guessing it was all the above. All (laughs) he didn't want you to talk to people and the rest of it. I don't think he just wanted his gift back. So,
2: Um, yeah. So my friend Bill said to me, "You know, he seems very violent and kind of crazy, and I don't think you should stay here tonight." He said, "I've got a suite. Why don't you just come stay on the couch?" And so I did. I took his advice, and so that's one thing that I want to point out to people is. When you get a lifeline from somebody that cares about you, take it.
0: Oh, good. I'm glad you said that. Remember that.
2: Take every lifeline that you can. And the worse the situation is, the more you're going to need it. Sure. But don't cry wolf. Don't say I have this terrible problem and then they run to help you. And then you go back to them. That's the worst thing you can do because then the next time you ask them for help, they're not going to be so interested in helping them.
0: They won't even offer.
2: But they might not even offer. They might be so disappointed in you sure. that you didn't stand up for right. yourself and that you didn't follow through. Yeah. It's very disappointing when you someone you love doesn't you. follow through on their own safety and protection. Yes. So I went back. I went to Bill's place and I was crying all night on the couch. I'm like, this is a crazy person. I want him out of my life so badly. And I just can't make him go away. Mm. Horrible. And when I came back in the morning, he had broken into my apartment. The door was swinging. And he had taken things from me, the only things that were personal, not anything of value, things like my photo album, my college diploma, things like that, like personal things about me. I ended up filing a police report.
0: Let me jump in for just one second. I've heard about some things like that before, and it kind of attributed to being, I guess you might call it a metaphor for erasing you by taking your photo albums by taking personal things that have value but they also are so much like you it's not like he took a pillow you know he took something yes. that maybe had your name on it had your picture in it people you cared about so to take those in a way it's it's really a step towards taking you away it's kind of a yeah. surrogate for you is what i'm saying so yeah
2: my understanding you know, with which i later found out that he's a sociopath i looked that up and he checked every single box and let's talk about that a little bit later sure but, One of the things that sociopath does is when they're an infant, between a year and two years old, they actually don't bond with their mothers correctly. And so they create an an external object Uh. that is the point of attachment and they create something called a false self. So what they end up doing is they have this imprinting of you that's perfect. And then that's the, what they're in love with. And then anything that you do other than that is like your, your false self. And so they want to punish and harm this non-perfect version of you that they've created. Oh. So I think it might have something to do with all of that. So I filed a police report and the policeman told me about a free legal service for women that they would help me get a restraining order. Again, I took that lifeline. I Good. didn't make a lot of money, and I went to that women's network that had free legal service, and they, they helped me fill out the paperwork for the restraining order.
0: That have to go in front of a judge or something, to actually sign the papers.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, and then, you have to kind of convince the judge that it's it should happen. It's not yeah. like he just handed a piece of paper and you get it. I think you have to kind of give evidence and things, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. Another thing that he did shortly after that was Richard had come down to visit for the weekend. He lived two hours away, so he stayed overnight on the couch because he was visiting. He came over and somehow he f- saw Richard's car. I don't know how he figured it out, but he so, slashed. So Ted the-, Ted,
0: the abuser in the story, saw Richard the skier's car. Yeah. You're saying. Okay.
2: And he slashed all four of his tires.
1: Oh, And well. a
2: neighbor saw him outside the apartment in a black hoodie with a giant knife. So he was definitely up to no good and nefarious. I think I got the restraining order right after that, right after that okay. incident. And when you get the restraining order, you actually have to serve it. So a process server has to validate that the person received I had to meet him somewhere, and then the process server validates that that person received the judge's order. And that's an important part of it. The night that the restraining order was served, he was excited because I agreed to meet him at a local pizza parlor. And uh,
0: that's how you set it up. So he'd get that.
2: So the process server guy came and it was back then it was $50. So this man was risking his life serving a dangerous person with a restraining order for $50.
0: Oh, gee.
2: Which, you know, this is, I I love this person for, for doing this, right? Um,
0: Sure. Of course.
2: For being willing to do that job. So he told me once I pull out the paper and it gets signed, You leave the restaurant as fast as you can. You get in your car and you drive to an undisclosed location, not your apartment, which I did. And it was funny because the location that I was supposed to go to, there was some kind of chemical spill in the neighborhood and this person's house was blocked off. So I couldn't go to that location. So I called my sister and I was crying and I said, I don't know what to do. And she said, (laughs) well, she was between houses. She was moving and she was out of town. She said, you can go to my apartment. She goes, but there's absolutely no furniture there. Uh. And I slept on the carpet in the living room floor. (laughs) I remember crying, but I remember thinking, this is what it takes to be free. And when you make a decision, and I made a clear decision, I did not want anything to do with this person. And I felt that it was a 100% decision, there was no wavering in my heart, but even still, there were obstacles and obstacles and obstacles to making this a reality.
0: Yeah, getting out of a really bad relationship is never easy. And I've talked with so many people. And some people will say it takes a while to get stuck in that relationship. It's complicated. And getting out takes a while and it's complicated. And that's what you're telling me.
2: I swear, if you have even a 1% doubt, he'll know it. He will find it, he will exploit it, and he will rip it open, and you start all over again. So, you have to be rock solid in your conviction, Uh. and you have to put yourself first. You have to realize that your life is worth it. And that's not love. If somebody's manipulating you, if they're trying to control you, if they don't trust you, if they make you feel terrible, that is not love. That is manipulation, and you deserve better because there is a relationship out there that mm-hmm. is loving, that is supportive, where you will be treated as an equal, will, where you will be adored for who you are. It's there. Mm. So say no to the danger. Say no to the threats, right? So after the tire slashing and a private detective. So
0: Okay, so what is the job of the detective in this case? Just track this guy? Watch him? What's his charge? So
2: his job, it was, and it was $1,200 for I don't remember how much time. Mm-hmm. And this is in the 80s, so it would be more now. <laughs> but his job was, he said, I want you to make a list of every single person that you know he knows, his employer, his wow. friends at work, any other personal friends he has, any family members, anyone that you know their name and where they are or end, or a phone number, anything you know about them, we're going to make a list. So the private detective said, he went to all of these friends yes. and people that Ted worked with, and he said, do you know what Ted is doing to Brenda? Yes. Do you know that he is harassing her and following her and threatening her? She's broken into her apartment uh. and so forth. Now, all of the people in his life are, that he is seeing on a daily basis are coming to him saying, what are you doing? What is but, going but, on here? So Apartments I'm trying to understand. Me.
0: I mean, wouldn't that... Really set fire to this guy at this point, like bad enough that you're avoiding him, but now, through this detective, this other person, you're kind of defaming him all over the place, to all the people who were important to him i If I were that guy, I'd feel like, wow she's really getting she's trying to get even here.
2: he might have been shocked I don't know
0: oh I don't um, think he was happy yeah
2: I was just following the plan because no, I think it's the-
0: interesting i like, I'm sure there's a lot of wisdom. I just don't get it yet
2: so the private detective said. It's his secret life of tormenting you. It's all a secret. Nobody knows about it. Oh, well, yes. Open.
0: Now that does make sense. Yes. Because make he's going to be the nicest guy in the world to everybody else. Of course.
2: Now he's going to be accountable and people are going to know what he's really doing. Wow. And so I think that was shocking to him.
1: Yeah.
2: It's like, here's this woman that won't even talk to me. And now she's got a yeah. private investigator. talking. Kind of to the turned the tables.
0: Else. Yeah.
2: I turned the tables and I, now could that have backfired? Yes did i just trust the process yes good like i said i tried to take every lifeline and i would recommend that if you've been in a relationship for a long time with someone that's very dangerous don't jump out overnight make a plan that allows you to be in an undisclosed safe place and work your plan very carefully protect yourself Mm -hmm. use your resources and follow through
0: i'm glad you said that and part of that too I would add to that. I wouldn't take anything away from that. That's absolutely right. Some people call it an escape plan, some people call it a safety plan, but it's wise to get together with the domestic violence agency and kind of work it out with them because you may think you have the perfect plan and they'll say, "Well, let me let me tell you what's wrong with that plan or let me tell you what's unsafe about that plan." It's not something you go in today and figure it out today and execute it tomorrow and everything's just great. I mean, it it takes a while. You know, whether you're Packing and getting ready, you're setting up some other place, for that matter, in the country that you're going to live. I mean, it could be that. So you can see, you can't just do that in a minute. But yeah, I'm glad you glad you brought that up because uh, that's that's what has to happen, especially with somebody who is who has their tentacles around you like that.
2: One of the interesting things that happened with the private detective is that his partner in the agency was traveling to France. Ted had a sister in France, and I knew her phone number and address because he had visited her a month or so before. Oh, So I had contact information for her, and I gave it to the detective, and he literally knocked on her door and said, do you know what your brother's doing in America? That must have really freaked him out. You guys
1: are
0: (laughs) thorough. Jeez, this is pretty good for the 1980s. You know, this is good work.
2: Pretty good.
1: good. I have to
0: ask you um, now, the detective part of your story, how long now have you been in this relationship with Ted? When the detective's doing his thing with his partner and everything.
2: This is probably five or six months in. Okay. Somewhere around there. Yeah, I just want to get a feel. Because of the tire slashing, and I had filed that second police report. Yes. And it was after the restraining order, the district attorney actually forced him to come into court. I was not there at court because the, the DA told me, don't come to court. Your very presence will be create, a, you know, some trauma on his part, and he may become even more unpredictable. Don't even show up.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So I didn't. And then the DA told me afterwards that he, um, I, it was originally a breaking and entering charge, and, and he ended up settling for something called malicious mischief, oh. and that had to do with the tire slashing. Oh. So it was kind of like a lesser charge than breaking and entering, but at least it was something. One of the things that we found out from the private detective is that when he was living in Arizona, first of all, he had been married, which he oh. never told me. Oh, well, well hm, <laughs> And he had been arrested for molesting this woman, Alma's son. Oh, so this is the same woman that had called me and, and tried to tell me that I didn't yeah. understand him and he really loved me and I yeah what a great guy he
0: was yeah she was trying to sell you on a guy that did that to her own son that's uh takes a special kind of mother
2: Now why would she do that I'm assuming he paid her I'm just assuming he paid her to he do
0: paid that. her or threatened her yes or threatened her if you don't do that I'll do this
2: she didn't feel threatened I mean she didn't she, I didn't get the feeling she was afraid when I talked with her mm-hmm so after I found out that he was a child molester, boy, that was an easy decision for me to just want to stay as far away from him and have the DA handle it. Yes. And there was just, there was no going back. I have zero tolerance for someone that would molest a child. Ugh. And I think it probably ties back to his experience as a child being raped. Most right. Likely. Yeah.
0: Kind of a cycle thing. Yes.
2: Mm-hmm. So if you're in a situation where you're with someone and you have children with them, and you think, oh, I need to stay with this person for the children. You could be doing a lot more damage to those children by staying with someone violent and showing them this is acceptable behavior. This is the mm. way you can treat a woman. You can mm-hmm. be violent with her.
0: And right. right. I en- I endorse this behavior. Yes.
2: Actions speak louder than words. Sure. Mm. Mm-hmm. Amazing. So I I was able to get away. He was actually deported because he was um, because this was his third conviction.
1: Ah. Um, he was deported
2: even though it was a kind of a minor conviction. He was deported, so that made me feel really good when I heard that he was gonna be out of the country. I thought, well, this is wonderful. But I still needed to reflect back on why did this happen? Mm -hmm. What was my role in it? What, What do I need to learn about myself and do differently as I move through the world? Sure. I think I needed to learn that other people's issues shouldn't define me. People need to deal with their own issues. I needed to learn to refuse to be mistreated and to stand up for myself. Mm -hmm. And I needed to believe in a healthier version of love and that I could be loved and adored and have attention without being a victim of violence Mm -hmm. and control and manipulation.
0: Right. That's good. One thing I just wanted to, before you go on there, I was thinking about being kind of putting yourself in a position where you feel responsible for someone else's actions or their lives. And- Sometimes that comes up, just say the most typical example is a woman is hinting around or saying that she might break up. And the guy comes back and says, well, I can't live without you. I'll kill myself. You know, sometimes they'll play that card as a piece, like a very strong piece of uh, strong play at manipulation. And what I've heard and what I tell people is I go to the same thing you just said is that person's life is not your responsibility. Your responsibility is your life. Your safety is your life. You can even say that to the other person and say, "Look, I hope that I hope you don't do something like that, but you have to do what's you feel you need to do or what's best for you, and I have to do the same over here, so I hope you don't do that, but basically it's like that has no effect on me. I don't like to hear it, but that doesn't have an effect on me It's not going to change what I'm trying to do
2: and he did do that at one point. He said, If you don't come back to me, I'm going to kill your sister oh, and kill I your had sister to live with that because I thought." I wasn't sure. Would he kill, would he kill my sister? I, I should, you know, so I'm going to be stuck with him for the rest of my life. So he doesn't kill my sister. I mean, at what point does that end?
0: Well, here we are years later. Do you think he would have?
2: When I think about it and I asked the detective this, I said, this is all really like new for me. I don't understand this mentality. I don't understand this behavior. What are my odds when he threatens my life and he threatens the life of my family? what are the odds that this is true that he would actually go through with that? Yes. And he said, well, I'll be honest with you. It's about 50, 50.
0: Oh, that high.
2: And I thought, Oh my gosh, there's a 50% chance of someone getting killed here. This is not good. Yeah. That That was a lottery ticket.
0: That's a lottery ticket. You don't want.
2: Yeah. That was very, very shocking. That is shocking. Shocking to me.
0: Well, that's good advice.
2: And I have to say that this particular law firm in San Francisco had been in in operation for about eight years when I used them, and they've been in operation since then. And about, I think it was a year ago in 2021, one of the principals of this private detective agency was brutally murdered. Oh. So I So who did it? I don't know. Oh. I don't know if it was like a mafia thing.
0: Yeah, I didn't know if it was like an old case came back to haunt that person.
2: I don't know who or why.
0: Right. Um, wow. And that's I don't amazing. know if
2: it's known. Sure. But this is dangerous work. Yes. And this situation, if you're in it, it's very dangerous. Yes, domestic work is always
0: dangerous. Yes.
2: Very careful. You yes. need to be very, very careful. If you're a person of faith, you need to pray and remember that you know you have a lot of forces for good on your side. And you need to call on them and ask them for guidance. Good. And ask them for protection.
1: Good. And yes. you will
2: have it. I agree with that. And I liked what you said in your book about if you pray for guidance in helping people in the world, you're going to get it, but it's going to be a lot of work.
1: (laughs) And I love that you
2: said that because it is true. I think we're here to serve one another. Mm -hmm. And when we ask for for guidance and assistance in serving the world for a higher purpose, we will absolutely be backed up with that assistance.
0: I don't think I mentioned this in the book. I was in the library and I had various books, I guess, for my wife and for me. And it was in a line at the library. So I happened to glance off to my left and they had some, had some shelves that just said new books. They had one book on praying. So I had some time and I leaned over and I picked it up and they had 10 things to pray about. Somewhere around number seven was one that says the prayer that God always answers. So I thought, well, that, okay, now you've really got my attention in this book and it has to do with asking God to make you an instrument of his will, is the way it's put.
2: In service. If you're committing yourself to service for the greater good, you will 100% be backed up.
0: Well, I, I will tell you, I pray that one with great care, because my contract when I pray that is put something in my path, and I usually say in my head or out loud, that even I'll trip over and See, because I don't want to find out later. Oh my goodness! I was supposed to do this thing, so I ask for it. Inevitably, within twenty-four hours, something shows up that I never would have predicted. That has a lot to do with helping one or a lot of people, and I always do it. I have a firm promise about that. So yeah.
2: So when you offer your assistance to God, God always says yes, and finds a way to, to work through you in its highest service.
0: I mean, we're on a, we're on a streak. Yes. We're on a streak with that because I mean, I really asked that one carefully, Mm -hmm. but I mean, seriously, people like you show up, you know, the, the, the best, the best people. And I mean that sincerely, the best people who need something or want to give me something that I can use or whatever it is. I mean, it's very open-ended, but I very careful when I put that out there because I know I'm going to get a project.
2: If it gets too much, you can always ask for some assistance or some relief from it. Can we morph this into another phase that's a little bit less emotionally taxing? (laughs) So, I mean, that was basically my story until about six years later. So after he was deported, I continued to date Richard. We ended up getting married about a year and a half later. And, you know, that's another thing that when you marry someone, you're marrying not just a person but you're marrying their family and you're marrying a lifestyle. So if you love to ski and you marry someone that hates to ski, how are you going to have your vacations together? You're going, to, you're going to want to be in the mountains and they're not. So think about that too, is what kind of lifestyle do you want to create? You have the ability to create your life, to create your best life, and to create your lifestyle. And I have a feeling that a person terrorizing you and threatening you is not in the plan for your best life.
0: I think you're so, right. You're absolutely right.
2: Think yeah, about that.
0: Nice. I know that's that's a that's a very important thought. Thank you.
2: So I would say also um, honor your intuition. Honor honor your feelings. Choose yourself and your safety.
0: Now tell me, choose yourself. What does that mean to you? Choose yourself.
2: I grew up in a family where the mantra was, "Think about other people before yourself." Okay that got me into trouble.
0: Yeah, I think you were taking better care of that guy than you. Yes, for a while. Uh
2: Uh-huh, uh-huh.
0: Okay, I see what you mean. So,
2: you're really gonna have to shift your energy. You're gonna have to step out of victimhood and step into your power. And you can do that by saying yes to the people that wanna help you, saying yes to the resources that are there for you, saying yes to that well-thought-out plan that you've reviewed with a professional, that knows about this domestic violence type situation and dating violence. Yes. And move your feet. Don't stay stuck.
0: Okay. Give me, give, me, give me some of that. Like, Give me examples of that. Is that like don't sit around feeling sorry for yourself and being miserable?
2: Yes. Don't sit, around. don't sit around crying and wondering what to do. Don't pray for something to be different. Or you just say, oh, I wish it could be different. Oh, I wish he, he could be loving but not violent. If wishes were horses, beggars would ride, it's not going to happen. And you need to do, you need to not only think it through, first you think it through, but then you take action steps to implement that plan. So that's the move your feet part is the action steps. Okay, good. You're going to take very good to save yourself and to create the new life that's better, that better life. So for me, that better life was being married to someone who is kind and gentle and sweet and honest and fair. And we have two children together that are amazing. I can't imagine, you know, anything other than this life. Like, Mm -hmm. this is exactly what I would have ordered for my best life.
0: I can just about – I can hear the pitter-patter of little skis.
2: (laughs) They're amazing skiers. They've both been, you know, nationally ranked for skiing and stuff. Oh, my. So, uh, yeah, they're great skiers. So, this character – was gone. He was deported. And then about six years later, I got a letter that I sent you a copy of. And what you may notice about that letter is the letter doesn't say, I'm so sorry for what I did to you. Uh, right. The letter says, please forgive me. Again, yes. it's yes. about him, yes. him being released karmically from any guilt. It's not about being sorry that he did something wrong. Mm mm-hmm. And I thought about burning that letter. Maybe I'll burn it after this interview as the complete closure.
0: You could burn it during the interview if you want. I'll wait till you get a match or whatever you like to use.
2: But for a while, I just felt like this is evidence of something that happened in my life that I need to not lose the lesson. Don't suffer with the the, the hard part of it, but don't lose the lesson either. That believe in yourself and that there is a better life for you. So I mentioned earlier that uh, this person was a sociopath, and I didn't even know what that meant, actually, until recently. Here are some boxes that that he checked you might find um, familiar.
0: Glad you're doing this. Thank you.
2: Lack of a conscience. No mm. regrets when they do something that hurts another person.
0: I mean, they just know their own feelings, right?
2: They only know about themselves, and they only value their feelings. They don't value your feelings. Yes. They don't understand your feelings at all, and they really don't care.
0: Mm, they they mm-hmm. really
2: don't care. It's kind of your because problem. Because they don't actually know who you are. They only know the picture that they have of you that they created early on of your perfection. That's only a part of you. It's not the whole thing, right? So they don't mm. even know who you mm. are. They'll be charming at first and then become very aggressive. They're very impulsive and they feel no guilt. They use manipulation and deceit to control other people. They rationalize their actions by saying it's because they love you, Uh, but really it's just because they want to control you to do what they want. Yes, They threaten you to maintain control. They have persistent negative behaviors and a disregard for your boundaries. When you say, no, I'm not going to see you this week. I have other plans. They're just going to show up. They're just going to do what they want, regardless of what you said to be your boundary. They get very aggressive when they're upset. And they push and push and push and push to get what they want. They disregard the law. They have no respect for the law either. They'll violate your rights and the rights of others. Hmm. Uh, They'll exploit you. And they live in a fantasy relationship with something that isn't even who you are. Right? So it's not worth it.
0: Well, you were definitely a a once-burned, twice-learned type of person (laughs) because... You didn't have a second one like that one. That's good. And of course, it was great to have Richard come in, riding in Mm -hmm. to kind of save you in the most general sense, you know, or or help you save yourself is what really happened.
2: And I felt so so guilty. But again, I took the lifeline. I took the help because I knew I couldn't do it alone. I knew I couldn't get out alone. And then, of course, when you step in to help someone when they're at their most difficult and challenging times, you have just created the most loyal relationship that you could ever have because, you Mm -hmm. you know, I will always be loyal to him. I will always stand by him. I will always protect him because he went out on a limb for me when he really didn't even know me that well. So I'm very grateful. I'm grateful to him and especially for him showing up at a time when I wondered, is it possible to have a better relationship? And he's like, I'm right here. <laughs> here I am, better relationship, right standing by waiting for you.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's good. I mean, you don't hear of too many situations where it's so bad with somebody, and then the segue to someone who is the complete opposite and it's loving and it lasts as long as it's lasted. Oh, yeah. You know, it's it's pretty rare that you could kind of change horses, so to speak, staying with your horse part, you said earlier, yeah. but change horses like that. And, and it's everything you could ever want. And you know, if it hadn't been for the first guy, the second guy wouldn't have needed to step in.
2: And you know, if I had met Richard first, first of yes. all, I probably would have thought he was too old for me. He was about 10 years older than me. So when you're 24 and someone's 34, they seem older. Sure. And he was very, very almost too stable, right? Like we've literally lived in the same place for 30 years. He's very, very stable. He might've been too stable for me, you know, when I was still trying to figure everything out and the world was exciting and I had any, all these options available to me. There's no cure for that sociopathic behavior. That person can't go to counseling and be fixed. That's never going to happen. It speaks to things that happened in their infancy that are going to stay with them their whole life. So the best thing that you can do is protect yourself from the the bad side of that. If you're going through this out there, I pray that you have the strength and the belief in yourself to carry yourself through to a better place.
0: You and I wish everybody that that type of thing and I think that having you come on and talk about these and having some of the other survivors I've had, I've been very fortunate that they that they have gotten through the the really hard days and nights sometimes for months, sometimes for years and Honestly, they're so well-spoken about what happened, how they steered their way through that part of their lives, you know, having never had to do that before and they got to a better place, but also people like you who are just so generous in giving a lot of thought and time to talking with people who were currently victims or even talking with other survivors to kind of say, yes, you know, you should feel good about what you did and to victims to say, you don't have to have it like this. It may take you a while to break free and do it safely, but life doesn't have to be this trap you got into. And then let's not also forget the people who are friends or bystanders or family of those going through this. You know, it takes a lot of patience. You want these kinds of relationships to end right now. As soon as you hear about it, you want them to end right now. As I said earlier, it takes a while for these relationships to get as entangled as they are and therefore, it takes a while to, to, to get out of it. And your story is perfect for that, because this guy was torn between trying to find psychological ways to embrace you, but also find ways that you would get punished if you didn't. So it's going to be ransacking part of your apartment, stealing things. Or if someone tries to help you, like Richard, he's going to take a little piece out of him, even if he starts with the tires. So, um, yeah, it's it's tough. It's really tough.
2: There's another piece about Richard that I didn't mention. During all of this sure. time, we had the restraining order. Richard, as I mentioned, lived two hours away. He showed up at Richard's doorstep, and Richard saw him pull in the driveway. And Richard ran out the back door to the neighbors. Oh. Richard doesn't know whether he had a gun or what his intentions were. Richard stayed down there and he called the police from the neighbor's house. And uh, by the time the police got there, he was gone. Yes. Richard didn't notice anything missing. There was nothing missing from the house. He hadn't stolen anything. But you can only wonder what would have happened if Richard had been there.
0: Yes. It could have been really, that could have been it. That could have been the end. No doubt about it. uh,
2: And how would I have felt if that happened? Oh, my God. I could not live with myself.
0: No, that that would have have sent you down a path that it would be hard to, to come back, at least the whole way. So, yes, you're right about that. That was very fortunate that he got smart and just headed out. Didn't stand at the front door and have a big conversation and
2: confrontation. No, stay
0: away from her and all the things that you're thinking. You know, sometimes you want to be the big hero and you wind up being the, the, the dead hero, unfortunately. And those stories happen quite a lot. Quite a lot. It's really sad.
2: I would encourage people to read your book, too, When Dating Hurts, what we learned about dating violence after our daughter's tragic death. Toward the back of the book, you have a checklist Yes. of all those signs like we talked about at the beginning. Mm
0: -hmm. The warning signs.
2: The red flags that are the same for for everybody in this situation, right? true. Yes. There's a lot of personal stories of people that were in the situation and got out and how they got out. Yes. And so it's definitely worth helping you as you're thinking through to make your plan, helping you get in that mindset of what it's going to take and how you're going to do it. So this book can help someone really shift their thinking and shift into that action mode of making that safe plan.
0: Good. I'm glad you said that. Yeah, those, those are all true stories that were emailed to me and I followed them up. Or in one case, I was about to give a speech and someone came up to me and and told me this amazing story. Her husband thought that he had killed her and then was in the throes of burying her. And it was in summer, but the ground was cool enough down below when he was tr- starting to shovel the dirt on top of her that's what that's what brought her around and then she had to beg her way out of that hole and kept begging don't kill me i was about to give a speech when when i heard that story i had a speech I, at the point that she told me that part was probably 12 minutes before i was supposed to go on a stage and give a hour long talk and standing listening to her i felt like i was running a fever you know i i had to splash cold water on my face i had a tie and suit on and everything and i just I had to, like, breathe and calm down. I was so thrown off by her story. And I told her, I'll talk with you again when we get finished here. And she thought he was the greatest guy in the world, too, in the very beginning. He was just everything she thought she ever wanted. It turns out he was the biggest monster she could ever dream up.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Bill, I really thank you for all that you're doing to get the I word out. Appreciate that. To thank to help you. people prepare, Yes. make different choices, and... I'm so very sorry about the loss of your daughter, but I know that she's very, very proud of you for what you're doing.
0: You told me that you had something that you wrote that you felt that she had in her own way, kind of spiritual way, Mm -hmm. told you and you kind of journaled it out. Do you want to read that for us?
2: So I, I don't know if people are familiar with this, but if you meditate, you're actually in a different brainwave state and you're more receptive to your subconscious mind and also a connection, more of a connection. With the journaling, there's something called automatic writing where you're just basically listening and writing down what you're hearing being communicated to you. And a lot of times it's the answer to a question. So you start out with a question. So my question was, did Kristen have a message for you, Bill? And this is the answer that I got. Light shines brightly all around me day and night. It's like living inside a star being a part of the light that is created. I am not afraid, nor should you be. I can climb the highest mountains, and I can ride a feral horse bareback. I can do so very many things. I feel your heartache. This is to you, Bill. I am am with you every moment as it occurs. I thank you for telling my story, but mostly I thank you for loving me and keeping my spirit alive. I have been sent to the safest, most beautiful place where it is possible to patiently wait and while deeply longing for our reconnection. It is all as it should be. Believe this. And dad, we are working together now. It's kind of like a family business, like you've always talked about. And then I hear laughter, blessings, and love.
0: Yeah, that's... Talk about take my breath away. Yeah, that is that sounds very much like Kristen and and I accept it. I really do. I accept it from her. She's the same person who was with us all those years and same person I've had several dreams about, you know, where we really engaged and it was just beautiful. The dreams don't last very long, but they're little mini stories and they're very comforting and I always get up in the morning and the first thing I do is tell my wife what I dreamt last night and she loves that too. So,
2: I can remember asking one time about If people that are on the other side are really here, you know, the other side is not in the clouds. It's actually here. Right
0: here with us. Um, Yes.
2: So, how can you tell the difference? You know, I was in a dream asking this how can you tell the difference between the people that are on this side of the veil and those that are on the other? And what was shown to me is that the people that are on this side are in color, and the people on the other side, it's like they're in black and white. And the people in color can't see the people in black and white, but the people in black and white can see people in color. So you can imagine, Um, as you're walking around the world, and you might see two or three people, but there could be two or three other people that are with you that are your, your loved ones that are right there all the time. If you're on the other side, and you can be anywhere that you want to be, where would you want to be with the people you love? So that's where they are. They're with us now. So I feel tremendously comforted that we can speak to them anytime out loud and they hear us and we can feel them. We can't always hear them, but maybe we can always feel them.
0: Yes, I do speak with Kristen before I get up and do a speech. I usually, I've given nearly, I think, 200 speeches or interviews on the subject of dating violence and tell Kristen's tragic story. And before any one of those, I'm always a little anxious about it. So I always ask for her help and that kind of calms me down. And yeah, I'm right there with you. I'm, I'm so glad that you contacted her or she contacted you and you passed that along. And I'll, I'll share that with my, my wife and son and my daughter-in-law. So Brenda, you know, there's a lot that we have been able to gather from your experience, your horrible experience with this guy. And, you know, I think that you are another example of somebody who just wasn't prepared for what was coming your way as, I mean, you're talking about the 1980s, you know, here we are 40 years later, and there are plenty of people walking around who are no more prepared than you were back in those days when you had just gotten to the West Coast. You were trying to be helpful to this guy or give him every chance. And if somebody were there for you who knew more about it, they'd say, That's the way it works. This person is going to be constantly pulling on your arm or pulling on your emotions. And this person is ultimately never going to let you go. It's up to you to get out of this situation. You've talked about escape and safety plans. Those are really important. You know, you can't just stand up and walk out and expect that person's going to say, okay, well, gee, I'm really sorry it didn't work out. You know, that person's going to haunt you, basically, haunt you in every possible way or haunt your friends or find ways to threaten you to get back in it. But I want to thank you for joining us on When Dating Hurts. I know these do a lot of good. I get plenty of emails from people telling me that you know, your spirit of generosity shows throughout this whole discussion we've had today. And I just want to give you a great big thanks and wish we lived closer so I could come by and talk with you again and meet Richard. And
2: I'd love to have you come out. If you're ever going to be coming to the West coast, please contact me.
0: Sure. Thanks for absolutely giving me your story, but also giving me your, your time and, and your spirit here. And I can, I can really feel it. And, uh, I know the rest of my day will be a lot better having had this opportunity to focus on you and, and, uh, everything, you know, and everything you feel and, you know, good for you.
2: Thanks for letting me tell the story. I'm glad that it was a story that has a, a positive ending. And I wish yes. all of your listeners the very, very best.
0: Yes. I'm glad you said that positive endings. That's where it's at. Thank you. I'd like to thank my guests and my listening audience for their support. It is clear our listeners look for and play survivor episodes above all others. I believe they get caught up between the forces of good and evil all the time pulling for the moment a victim becomes a survivor. I am open to other victims and survivors who want to join with me on the When Dating Hurts podcast. Together, we can shine a bright light on the epidemic of dating and domestic violence. We can improve lives and save some innocent people from a lifetime of broken dreams. If you want to tell your victim or survivor's story, please contact me at Mitchell at WendatingHertz.com. That's Mitchell at WendatingHertz.com. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe.